I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today on the show, we have a special guest, Ben Carruthers. Ben's a strategist, facilitator, design thinker, creative and author. He's worked at Atlassian and at design and creative agencies and tech startups. He's now the principal facilitator at Bright Pilots, running strategic workshops and helping businesses solve complex problems. Today on the show, we will be talking about how you can solve your career problems using design thinking. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR professional. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. I'm Emily Bowen and I work for a business called Foresight's Recruitment and HR. And my area of expertise, so to speak, is recruitment and customer experience. And I am so excited. I feel like I've been saying I'm excited about today's episode for like two weeks. We have a very special guest with us today, Ben Carruthers. Ben how are you? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That, that, that's really, really nice of you to say. Um, hi, Emily. Hello, uh, Ben. And um, hi, Shelley. I'm really well. I'm really well. And thank you very, very much for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you with us. And we've kind of had a good couple of conversations about career, about how you navigate the world of work. And so we're going to dig into a bit of your background and your experience today and then get as much advice from you about what we can do in how we develop our career. And so before we kick in to getting all the gold that you're going to be sharing today, I would love if you can just tell us a bit of a snapshot of your career story, Ben. Sure, sure, sure. It is a bit strange. I haven't had a linear kind of career at any point. Um, I did science at university and I remember in my honours year, people were saying, oh, you know, you should totally stay on and do a PhD. And I said, mm, wow. no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at that time, uh, I did what every science graduate did when they didn't know what to do with their lives uh, at that time. I got into finance. <laughs> and uh, Is that I- what <laughs> science graduates do? <laughs> They get into finance. <laughs> well, at the time, there were so many data entry jobs right. going. And, um, and I had a part-time job at a stockbroking company while I was at university. And when I finished, they said, hey, you know, come and join full-time. And uh, I didn't have any other great options. <laughs> and so I did. But uh, it just was not me. Right. It was not me. Uh, definitely square peg in a round hole. But funnily enough, um, that's where I actually found design um, right. or, or maybe design found me, either one. But yeah, it was through the work I was doing in this stockbroking company that uh, I started getting into design and then through a really kind of weird uh, trying different things and stumbling through and, and a few happy accidents. I kind of got into web design. And from there, I really just went all in to uh, digital design and digital strategy. And can I ask, Ben, how old were you when you kind of got into design? 
Oh gosh. Uh, I guess we're, we're talking the mid nineties. So, so you've been in digital. <laughs> you've been in the mid nineties. You're like, I can't remember the mid nineties. Were you doing digital? Like, you would have been really early on that digital design user experience space, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. In fact, uh, uh, back then, uh, no one talked about user experience. Like, it was web design. Right. Uh, and anyone who was worth their salt, well, you know, you could call yourself a webmaster, and people <laughs> went, "Ooh, that sounds impressive." <laughs> um, no one would say that these days right but uh yeah and then it was it was around about the kind of um turn of the millennium like going into 2000 2001 that's when people really started talking about this thing like user experience and and that's when I got even more interested in design yeah yeah, yeah. right and so tell us a bit about that late back end part of your career journey where you've been working and what have you been doing the last few years the last few years yeah definitely going more from Pixels to people, I think you could say. Yeah, yeah. Um, less and less time at the screen and more and more time with people because as a, a designer, I found more and more of my time was spent in workshops and facilitating workshops and helping others with their design and helping them communicate and help them solve problems. And uh, through that, I really kind of discovered whiteboarding um, I'm 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 the guy at the whiteboard. Right. I'm always the one at the the whiteboard. And uh, like, if if you cut me, I bleed dry eraser ink. I, <laughs> I, I swear, I swear. Um, and all of that really made me uh, find two big strengths of mine. One was facilitation, and the other one was business drawing, for the want of a better term. Like just being able to bring other people's ideas alive on paper, on a whiteboard. And, uh, yeah, just through experimenting and stumbling through and happy accidents, um, that's got me where I am now, yeah. Yeah, right. And so, Ben, you were working at Atlassian for a while. In a, what, mm. was, what was your role there? Yeah, when I first started, I came in as a design strategist. And, <laughs> look, I won't lie, I didn't know what that meant. My boss didn't know <laughs> what that meant. But we'd worked together before. Yeah, sure. And uh, and he got me into Atlassian yeah. and he said, hey, you know, do do your magic, do your thing here. And I said, brilliant, really happy to. Uh, I'll need to work with your designers and your researchers. And he introduced me to the designers and that was all cool. And then I said, where are your researchers? And he said, we don't have any. And I said, hmm, um, given that uh, these are software products, for tons and tons of people out there, it's probably a good idea to find yeah. out m more about how people are using uh, the software <laughs> and uh, indeed what problems they have. And so I, I said to him, look, do you want me to start a team of researchers? Do you want me to you know, start hiring and building a team of researchers? And he said, yep, go for it. Uh, and so that's what I did. Uh, that went for a while and then my role then changed back into, I suppose, an individual contributor, like yeah. a bit like an internal consultant strategist, Great. I suppose. Yeah. And that's when I really started doubling down on facilitation and just trying to kind of transform product strategy into what was going to then be on all those screens in all those software products. Yeah, yeah. right. And so, and then you've kind of just started your own business. Which I'm really excited to hear. I have. Uh, can I give it a little bit of a plug? Is oh, we right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you. It's called Bright Pilots because, look, let's face it, we're all bright pilots, right? Like uh, I've got a, a big thing about um, design. I think one of the 
main prerequisites of great design is optimism. You know, like you have to be convinced that things are going to be better. Yeah, uh, to well. come up with great ideas, you've got to be able to envision a better world and then think, okay, how do we make that better world happen? And, uh, and the pilots thing is all about trying to help people get from A to B, like help them solve their problems, make their plans. And I find there are so many awesome, smart people, but we still get stuck. Yeah? And as a facilitator, um, I know I can help people get unstuck. Um, and so that's my new business, Bright Pilots. It does a whole lot of facilitation, basically. And I've sat in uh, one of your strategy sessions yes. uh, with your business and I absolutely loved it. I think it was the best facilitated workshop I've ever been to and, and I've been to so many workshops. So <laughs> oh, thank I you. Love, so High Ben, praise. I cannot uh, say how wonderful the business is and uh, it's great to hear your career story. I'm loving all of the, I'm just stealing all of these little phrases that you have. I mean, Bright Pilots is taken, obviously, uh, by your <laughs> business name. I love that. Happy Accidents. And uh, from pixels to people, I'm just going, oh, you just have this fun way of capturing all of these ideas and concepts. So, Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Love that language. Now, I'm uh, to summarise, I'd put you in to this um, pool of strategist, designer, creative that's how I feel like, you know, I would describe the things that you do from what you've just shared with us. What I'm interested in though, Ben, is what's your opinion on the ability of us as, say, employees to use this idea of design thinking to solve our career problems? Because it's something that absolutely you're solving business problems with design thinking. But as an employee, is that something that we can use in our career? And I should add, I only learned what design thinking was about 12 months ago. So you may also need to just define what design thinking is for mm. us, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, that's a really good question. Like, how do you apply design to your career? Yeah, and, and you're right. I think uh, it's good to kind of talk about what design thinking is and does. Um, for me, well, yeah, for more than just me, it's really uh, all about human-centred problem-solving. Uh, and by that, I mean, and I'm trying not to kind of use a bag of cliches here, but it's really about uh, trying to articulate what you're going to do in terms of a problem to solve or a need to fill rather than starting with a goal. Right. Um, you start with a problem to solve. Um, subtle but important difference. So that, that's one thing. Um, Human-centred. It has to be about people. It has to be about what matters to them. Um, yes, of course, uh, there's going to be some business goals coming out of it and money to be made or money to be saved. But ultimately, all businesses are in service of people in some way, shape or form. So it always comes back to that. Those are two parts. And, and the other main part of design thinking is um, experimentation. Rather than just going with the first idea that you come up with, going broad and um, trying to come up with as many ideas as you can from different perspectives. Um, and there's a kind of a bit of a catch cry in design thinking when it comes to how we articulate solving problems. And that is how might we, you know, how might we solve this particular problem? And I like it because it's not how might I, it's how might we. And mm -hmm. so it's inclusive by definition, and it's it's uh, meant to be 
all about diversity, getting diverse perspectives into the room, into the problem space, and diverse areas of expertise into the problem space. That's what makes it so different. And using that word might, for me, just conjures this sense of open-mindedness as well, which resonates, Mm. I guess, around experimenting. And I'm thinking back to the way that you described your career story so far, and particularly in the early days, that there was this real phase. And I would guess you were probably, you know, in your 20s, going into your 30s at this point in your career, where you'd come out of uni, weren't necessarily exactly sure what your dream job looked like, but you you did say you were experimenting and you went through a phase of experimenting. So nice to hear the connection between this idea of design thinking and maybe how you've approached your career before you even knew what it was. I don't know. There's there's a very big parallel there. Yeah, Yeah, I've never thought about it that way. There we go. Thanks, Emily. (laughs) That's okay. That's fine. Ben, I'm curious in terms of, uh, and I love how you said we, like there's a collective problem solving. If we just apply that to a career planning kind of lens, a lot of us at some point in our career get kind of stuck so we get stuck mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, do I leave this job? Do I take and do I fully change careers or industries? How do I? Um, and, and, and we all encounter those problems. But career is so, it's personal. Like, so it's like my career, my, my job goals. Mm. How can we then apply that design thinking? If I'm in a situation or if one of our listeners right now is in a situation where they're not sure about that next step, what would you be saying to them to think through? I think. We can certainly apply that kind of multiple perspectives principle into your own space. And um, I'm not sure um, um, you guys have probably heard of this kind of Japanese concept called Ikigai. Um, It's their kind of formula. It's their secret to fulfillment. And there's kind of four areas. And you can kind of think of these as four perspectives, like four lenses on, on your own life. And you can think about, you know, look, what do I enjoy? Yeah, what what do I get a kick out of? What am I good at? Always good to get other people's feedback on yes. that rather than just your own perspective on that. Um, what can I get paid for? And, and and fourthly, what does the world need? You know, and often uh, I suppose the the, the idea is that um, you find something that is an overlap of all four of those. You know, what do I enjoy? What am I good at? What can I get paid for and what does the world need? And I remember actually uh, it was years and years ago when, when I was a bit stuck, yeah. Um, right. I was stuck between, I suppose, uh, and we might dig into this if, if you want, but um, I was stuck between, look, do I keep going down this road of an individual contributor? Do I go deep in my craft of design and facilitation or do I go down the road of manager, you know, about managing others? And I remember... This is when I sort of first found out about this Ikigai concept. So asking yourself those four questions is a nice way to, to try to sort of start to separate these things and, and look at what fires you up. And depending on what stage of life you're in, um, you know, how, how important is it that you back yourself, you educate yourself? Um, how important is it that you make money? It's not always going to be number one priority. Um, it might be for you right now. Um, and so it's important to kind of look at those four areas and know that some are going to be dialed up more than others uh, okay. at various stages, yeah. And um, actually just for the sake of our listeners, can you spell Ikigai out because 
Oh gosh, I don't think it is. I think it's I K I. I K I. G-A-I. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's I, what it is. I think that is. And that way if you need to Google it because that is such yes. gold in terms of how you can map out those four quadrants, I suppose, mm. of how, mm-hmm. how your career looks. You make it sound so simple though, Ben, and I'm just <laughs> thinking this idea of yeah, getting unstuck and helping people become unstuck or, or if we're an individual to Shell's point and we're in that zone of – not really sure what I want to do with my career at the moment or I'm feeling a sense of just I need a change or something's not quite right, to use this idea of Ikigai to become unstuck, in your mind, is it as simple as it sounds or is it a process and maybe you can draw on your own experience? Does it? I don't think it would happen overnight, but I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. if I can think about my own experience and if I can think about others I know, it can be super easy, particularly these days, just to feel so overwhelmed mm. all the time to think, oh, man, I would love to make a change. I just can't. Like there's so much on my plate. And don't you, know? you think you look around and it, we often as humans go, other people seem to have it all together. Yes. They know what they want. Yeah. They love their job and it's ticking all the boxes. Big time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Big time. I mean, you two look like and and, and sound like you got it together. Fake it till you make it, I say. (laughs) (laughs) But it is funny, that thing of, I mean, I am keen to hear because you've gone on this journey of, I suppose, trying to get those times where you have gotten stuck at and I guess going to your point about manager or individual contributor, that is mm-hmm. something that I think most people face in their career. Sometimes yeah. after they've become a manager when oh. they go, oh, no one told me that this is what it's like. That's Yeah, right. that would be me. And, and so tell us <laughs> about your – Hands up, You're like, yes, this is me. Tell <laughs> us about your experience and how did you navigate that? Yeah, one big thing I learned way too late and I had to learn it over and over again by making mistakes is – the mindset of a of a maker is not the mindset of a manager. In, in other words, uh, as a single contributor, uh, as a designer, you know, all, all the little problems that came along, I thought, cool, like I'll work it out. You know, I was I size baby. You know, like if there's a problem, yo, I will solve it. You know, and I was just. <laughs> we put can we put some backing music on I that? Know, we need we need a backing track. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and and that that's how I got this job at Atlassian, basically, because I'd. You know, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I'd never met a problem I couldn't solve. You know, right. I thought, I am, wow. I've got this. <laughs> and then what happens, and it happens a lot, like a senior leader will go, hey, you're awesome at designing. Go and manage these designers. Or, hey, you're awesome at whatever it is. You know, go and manage these people who are doing that. And there's just this funny, weird default thinking that we think wow. it's the same set of skills. It's not. It's completely different. And um, I I was overwhelmed. Like I thought, okay, I, I, I can do this. I, I'm, I'm going to manage some designers and, and researchers. And I mean, look, I did an okay job, not perfect at all. Uh, made a lot of mistakes. We all do. But it was such a struggle because no one sat me down to say, Ben, what you're going to be doing now is you can still be a designer, but you're designing a team. You're not designing a product anymore. You're designing a way of working. You're designing how these people are going to get their work done. Pixels to people. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, I learned that way too late. And I went through so many pains. <laughs> um, would I be a manager again someday? Yes, yes. Um, because it's all about the impact that you want to make. And if you're competent, and if you want to make an impact that involves managing people, awesome, go for it. Um, but at the time, I was just too confused. And it was just muddling through. And can you only work that out, what you said there about impact? So... Can you only work that out once you've done the management job or do you, or can you kind of pick that up that oh actually maybe I'm not maybe I'm not going to be energized by leading a team I think hopefully there's slices of it that you can get along the way um I'm a big fan of anything that's not binary like I think um uh, and it's one of the things too like we 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 live in in a, in a complex time, yeah, and there's so much information coming at us and often we falsely reduce down to binary, like it's got to be this or that. Right. You know, you're either with us or against us. It's either, you know, um, and life really just isn't that way. And um, I know I was talking about maker or manager, but there's shades in between. And so I think if it's something that you're wondering about, like if you're an individual contributor, and you think, should I be a manager? I don't know. I guess look for opportunities where you can manage a little thing first. Like even if it's managing a spreadsheet that everyone else trusts, you know, for the uh, as a go-to resource, um, start there. And then um, there's slices of management where it's all about looking at other people's work and and uh, correcting it and giving yeah. feedback. You know, get good at critiquing and giving feedback and that way you can start to sort of go up this um, I'm drawing a steps in the air with my finger like take it step by step um, rather than trying to just leap to that you know tenth step that's just too sure. hard I'm all about that I think Shell's definitely said it in the past and I agree it's this idea of taking those opportunities to do parts of a role particularly a leadership role yeah. before yes. you actually get the job. And so if you're even stuck in that space of I can't seem to crack that promotion because I haven't got the experience, but I can't get the experience without the promotion, well, actually you can, but you're just getting it in a sort of pieced out style. Yeah. Oh, I, that's that's another lesson I learned the wrong way. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe it's got to do with the cultures of places I've worked as well, like software companies and so on. But don't ask for permission. Just go ahead and act like you've already got the job. Yes, you know? I love this. If you're that doing so it good. wrong, don't worry. Like people will tell you, but just act yeah. like you've already got the job. And for me, that that's a way to get out of that hamster wheel mm. of like, oh, I can't apply for this job until I get the experience and how I'm going to just, just, just go and do it. Yeah. And you were, as you said, making steps with your hand gestures there and it made me think of a career ladder. What's your perspective on this idea of career ladder that we hear? Oh, I love a good metaphor. Okay, I I, (laughs) I see you, your career ladder, and I raise you a uh, career jungle gym. And by that I mean, see, I don't, I, I, I just don't think we're in a world now where career is a ladder where it's like, you know, mm. step and then the next rung and then the next rung. It's more like a jungle gym. Like I go sideways and then I'm going to swing over to that one over wow. there. And then, yeah, I might come back to that ladder, but then I'm going to go over to this other one. And, and then you fall off. 
And you've got to get back up. And then you fall off. <laughs> fall off, you break off, your arm. Off the monkey bars. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like we don't have one. Well, I think for a lot of us, we don't have one career. And even just this idea. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit meta now. Please, so do it. Bear, bear with me. Let's hang on this jungle gym together. Just the whole idea of a, a career, I think we really have to question that as a mental model. And here's where I think I would rather think about the impact I want to make in the world. Yeah. Because there's probably a number of careers that I can take on to get me there. And uh, it might be sequential. I might be in parallel. Hey, look, you know, a, a lot of people have probably got a bit of a side hustle going these days, yeah. you know. Go for it. Like to me, that that's part of the jungle gym as well. And so I even like, I, I like that you're, and you're thinking probably it's just you like to challenge kind of some of those fundamental premises of, of, of just, you know, or oh, the career ladder, you go from individual contributor to manager to this and that. Mm. And I think it is good for all of us to be challenging some of those underlying assumptions that are in the workforce. Yes. And I love yes. how, you, you, how you're doing that. Even just it, it helps us to not feel like it's so um, rigid at times. Like that's been one of my challenges. I don't know about you, Em. I just think it's so empowering because as soon as you give yourself this space in your mind to just enter, even entertain the idea that everything you know is not true and then just think what is possible. I take myself back to what you were describing earlier, Ben, around uh, how might we and mm -hmm. that for me that really conjured up open-mindedness and this idea of brainstorming as we like to call it perhaps or what are all the possibilities? Let's experiment. Yes. Let's just be yeah. – let's just think about what could be rather and, than locking in. And I love that because when people get stuck in their job and so this is so relevant for so many people – one of the challenges is we feel like we don't have options. Mm. So I'm stuck. I've worked here for however long. I can't, I can't find another opportunity to make that impact, as you mentioned, Ben. But actually there are options. Sometimes we just need to start to ideate what could those things look like? Yes. What is yeah. that sideways move? Turn and the practicality filter off for a little bit longer perhaps as well. well. And I'd love to know because I think you've done this with going from – Enterprise employment, I suppose. Oh, that's such an old school term. Sorry. That's okay. It's like boring HR speak. <laughs> Enterprise employment. Like, oh. You've gone from working in a large business to mm. starting your own, which is like that. When we look, think about that jungle gym, you've, you've gone in a totally different direction, I suppose. Talk to us about what that was like for you personally. Like, how did you navigate it? How did you, what were the challenges with it? Gosh, yeah. Um, well, for a start, I've, done it a little bit before. Uh, I remember I was working um, for, for another big company and I decided to go freelance. There was uh, some overseas travel and working overseas uh, in there at the time. I was working for a startup in um, Ireland. Actually, back then we didn't call them startups. We called them dot-coms. Dot-coms. Oh, <laughs> webmasters and dot-coms. <laughs> this is a real throwback. <laughs> so Isn't good. it? Isn't it? So if, if, if anyone listening remembers dot-coms. On um, the World Wide you. Web. I, I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. And it was all about new media. And, wow. uh, and, and I remember back then really skilling up and thinking, wow, you know, um, I want to do more with these skills. Uh, and rather than 
jump into another big company, I went freelance. Um, and so in that way, I guess I was able to test the waters a bit about what would it be like just to try to kind of be a business of one uh, and, and and spread my wings in that way. But it's always a trade-off, right? There's always this thing of the buck always stopped with me. I had to do not only all the work, but all the admin and the invoicing and business generation. And that just drove me nuts. So I thought, I've had enough. I'll go back into um, agencies and consultancy land. Um, into enterprise but- employment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, And I think that was around about the time I really started thinking about, you know, what instruments do I have at my disposal to be the kind of change I want to be? Um, yeah. Uh, so to, to be the change I, I want to make. And at the time, it made sense that I needed to be in a team of others, but I just needed to be engaged in more stimulating work, more creative work. So that worked for me at the time. Um, and all of this kind of exposed me to other ways of working and thinking and exposed me to um, the way that all these different domains and industries uh, worked Uh, and that's something that I was able to then take on board and transform into my facilitation work Um, and I'm a really risk averse soul Uh, it took me a long long time to bite the bullet and then when I finally did bite the bullet and leave of course oh hello (laughs) COVID-19 oh wow that's that's when COVID-19 happened yeah and so tell us a bit about your processing of that, of your, your, your risk averse, as you mentioned, and then we have the once in a hundred year crisis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think it was part of my kind of maybe hardline Protestant work ethic that was drummed into me. I thought, what do I do? My default response is work harder. <laughs> And so I I, I combine my my, my work harder with, oh, sorry, this quick thing. You know when people are saying, oh, you know, you're at home, you've got all this spare time. don't start me. (laughs) um, Learn a new language. Who are these people? Learn a new language. Are you kidding? I've... I haven't been busier than than yeah. I am now. I've, I've never been ben? busier. I think there's you say uh, you don't like binary categorizations, but <laughs> I feel like in this situation there is one or the other. It's people that became uh, had a lot more free time, and people that feel like they had a, have a lot less. Well, the sourdough yes. bakers. Yeah, who are I need to make friends with more sourdough bakers yeah. because I have not been baking sourdough. <laughs> oh, it is. It is oh. definitely. It's a. It is a really tough time though for yeah. so many businesses, business it owners, is. and so. What, what, did it freak you out? Like, what was your initial? Yeah. Well, response? Um, um, the what. Once I kind of got over this lizard brain response of work harder, work harder, work harder, um, I then uh, took a bit of my own medicine and I said, okay, Ben, stop. Check in on your whole kind of ikigai thing again. You know, what do you enjoy? What are you good at? What does the world need? What can you get paid for? Because right now, suddenly the, the what I was getting paid for just disappeared. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, well, what problem can I solve? Thinking about design thinking, right? Like what what problem's going on through what I can observe and what I was observing, of course, that lots and lots of people were having lots and lots of Zoom meetings and they get really, really boring after a while. Yes, uh, and they so do. I thought, well, that's that's a problem I think I can do something about because as a facilitator, I'm all about 
keeping engagement going and, and stuff like this. So I thought, well, I've got a huge bag of um, warm-up activities and energizers and, and openers. I think I'll write an ebook. I think I'll put all of those into an ebook. And then um, because I'm a fairly ambitious soul and it's my project and I just blew out the scope, I thought, oh, I'll do a website as well. And so, so I did an icebreakers website. Uh, and so the ebook, in case anyone's interested, it's called 50 Remote Friendly Icebreakers. I need this ebook. This is I, I well it. spent for me. I bought it. It is so good. You need it. Okay. You will love it. <laughs> I just have to say, because yeah. I was I bought it because I feel like I've been notoriously underwhelming at icebreakers. Oh. That's been like oh. that would be if, if people were doing a 360 review of me, the <laughs> crappy icebreakers that I've done in my lifetime. <laughs> it's like your yeah, your report card will be, you know, tick, tick, tick all around, glowing, except for icebreakers. Uh, and so then when I saw it, that you, you've done that, Ben, so uh, how uh, I'm doing workshop next week and I'm doing two of your icebreakers. One's oh, a fantastic. drawing one and this other one that's called, it's a, this spam activity. I'm so pumped. Get the book. Where can I, where can we find it? And where can M find it? I know. It? I'm just, I'm, I've bought it already. <laughs> That's how excited how, I am. How can we oh, get it? Oh, thank you. Um, well, if you go to brightpilots.com slash icebreakers, that's the easiest way to get there. I can there. remember um, that. Brightpilots.com slash icebreakers. Um, but look, it's available on Amazon, uh, Booktopia, and you all, all of your friendly local neighbourhood online bookstores. Yes, so if you go to Amazon and just um, search up 50 remote friendly icebreakers, you'll, you'll find it there. Uh, yeah. And send it to your manager so that you never have to sit through a boring Zoom meeting again. <laughs> no, and let's face it, this is not just COVID friendly because we have all been talking about how we'll continue to do more Zoom meetings and yeah. more remote meetings into the future. So I dare say this will stand the test of time. Uh, and what I'm loving is having heard all of that, that you, you've, you've actually you've used and you've just talked us through a uh, really – a specific example of using design thinking to solve your own career problem. Mm. And, yeah. you know, we're harping yeah. back to one of our earlier questions. Is it possible to do that? And you've just given us a really great example of how you have. So that's really cool. And oh, Ruby. I'm wondering for you, Ben, like I'm just thinking through for one of our listeners who's kind of in the early part of their career, maybe they've just finished uni and they're starting out. What would you? What would your advice be to them? Uh, great question. I'd say, and please don't take this the wrong way, but it's okay. You don't have to solve all of the world's problems this year. You know, I was there. I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I wanted to get out, make my mark, solve the world. You know, but it's okay to keep learning. It's okay just to um, dial up more attention and focus on soaking in what's going on around you. Just keep learning uh, because that is a massive asset. That's a massive investment in yourself that will keep paying dividends year after year. And also, please don't put pressure on yourself to get on that ladder or that jungle gym that we talked about before. It's okay. It'll still be there. Yeah. It'll always be there. Um, in fact, I know um, uh, schools and universities are very fond of saying, oh, you know, like we love equipping our students with uh, the jobs that don't even exist yet. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're future-proofing our career, you know, and I just think, oh, it, it's always been this way. 
you know, the the work that I do now, most of it, it didn't exist when I was at university. Mm. And uh, for my own uh, parents, or for for my father anyway, like the the, the jobs that he's done, they didn't exist when um, when he was at school. And it's it's this it's it's often been that way for for so many people. So that that's why it's good to keep dialing up the listening and the learning, because um, th- there's going to be jobs that don't exist yet that you'll be much more ready for uh, rather than trying to work it all out now. You know, like, please don't put pressure on yourself to, to, to work it all out now and have that five-year plan and think that, you know, in five years I have to be uh, in this place. Yeah, look, there's so much pressure on you from other places. Uh, you don't have to add more pressure to yourself. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love even just the, what you said of, the jungle gym or the ladder, whatever you want to call it, it's it's always been there and it will still be there. Mm. Mm. I say that to myself sometimes on a Friday when I'm thinking <laughs> I've got so much work to do and then I go, but this is the beauty of it. It'll still be there on a Monday. That's the thing that sucks about it too sometimes. <laughs> It'll still say, be there on a Monday. You, you make it, you're really optimistic about it. It's the beauty of it. It'll always be there. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I know. It's like the best and worst thing is that it will still be there on Monday. Oh. But it, it, it must be similar for, I'm thinking of mums who like they're, they're, they're busy raising kids and then at some point they might be getting back in, into the workforce. And, and even that I'm kind of doing air quotes with, but um, it's okay. It'll, it'll still be there. You're not going to miss out. Particularly, I think, with more and more attention on equal pay and equal opportunities, yes. the opportunities will still be there. And I guess on that note, like in terms of are there any skills that you think, whether you're on the jungle gym or off it, here are some of the skills that will probably be needed long term into the future are there things that you think are really core that if you can have this type of attitude or mindset or skill you'll really set yourself up well oh yes yeah okay now I know I'm biased when I say this but definitely facilitation if you kind of get any kick out of being able to run a meeting being able to help people get to an outcome if you kind of uh, if you have that good buzz when you finish a meeting and think, oh, that went really well. We actually got done what we wanted to get done, right? You, you're probably a facilitator and right. you'll be good at it. And, and the reason why I say that, apart from being biased, is that cross-disciplinary teams is the norm now and mm-hmm. um, working collaboratively together uh, across teams and across different disciplines, that's normal now. And what that means is that we need people who are good at helping people work together. Uh, we need people to be able to uh, get people to have that shared, clear understanding of what they need to do. Uh, we need people to design better meetings. Yes, we do. <laughs> that's okay. I'm going to buy the book, okay? Oh, I'm not looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that, that that's such a that that's gold on on your resume to go for, and and thankfully it's something you don't need a degree for. You just need um, to Google facilitation. No, you just need well that does help, but um, it's something that you can start tomorrow. You know, you can start saying, "Hey, um, can I have a crack at seeing if I can make this." meeting run better. So that's one thing. And the other thing, I guess, is synthesis. Uh, And by that, I mean, develop your skills, uh, cultivate your skills in making meaning 
from all of the mess of information. Because let's face it, like we've got so much information mm. coming at us. Like we don't need more emails. We don't need more blog posts and more spreadsheets and more chat and all, and all this sort of stuff. What we need is people who can make meaning, who can connect the dots, who can summarize, you know. We need people to ask smart questions like, um, what does this mean? So what? Now what? What does this mean for this person? Uh, what if? You know, um, so get good at asking smart questions and get good at synthesis. I, I'd be cultivating that. Yeah, great. Ben, we, uh, we often are able, particularly with hindsight, to talk about things that have worked out really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think celebrating those is obviously super important. But we like the guts as well as the glory. So let us ask you, can, what is your biggest career fail? Or is there something that you can sort of describe to us that hasn't gone to plan in your career? And oh, in no. particular, what did oh, you learn? I, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was afraid you'd ask this. Yeah, I told you we like the good stuff here. So we want to know. I hope it's really <laughs> dramatic and, yeah, just full of drama, craziness. That's my, my goal. Uh, I'm thinking of something now. I can actually feel my cheeks going red oh, right now. I was going to say, if there's a little um, bit of embarrassment, is that too much? <laughs> I remember um, – oh, and, and this is the thing, right? Um, be careful when you – you know, get some runs on the board because then people will expect more. Uh, oh, that and, trick. Yep, and I know. pride yep. comes before a fall, yeah. right? Uh, and you think, oh, I got this. I got this. And then you go, <laughs> oh, I don't got this. Um, I remember there was a time um, where uh, I wanted to set up like an innovation hub in a, in, in a company and uh, and other people had full trust in me that, that, that I could do it, more trust in me than I had in myself. But I thought, oh, I'll give this a good red hot go. And they said, look, here's a meeting room. It was a bit of a sort of a fishbowl, you know, glass, massive big long table, you know, your, your general garden variety meeting room, right? And I said, right, um, let's gut this room and let's make it into a more of a design studio. And um, I uh, worked with the facilities people I replaced the carpet so it was fluffier green carpet I got rid of the big table I got in lots of little uh, square tables on casters um, I installed well I, I got others to install these multiple uh, removable whiteboards because I remember working at an agency where everyone had their own whiteboard now I said before like I'm uh, I love the whiteboard you're the whiteboard right? guy you, I, <laughs> did you say you bleed Dry eraser ink. Is that what what you said? (laughs) Um, I love a good whiteboard and uh, I I like the digital whiteboards too. But I remember working with a crew where we all had our own whiteboards and we could, you know, scamp up some stuff and then we'd take that into a meeting and we'd compare stuff and we'd draw some more things and then we could take it back to our desk. And I thought, yeah, like I want those glory days again. Like like, I I want everyone else here to experience that. So I designed and and got built um, as basically a a, a grid of these small whiteboards and they all kind of hung on the wall. And so you could use them as one or you could draw on one and take it off. And and I had like a a hopper made of some spare whiteboards outside. And, and, uh, and then of course for the stools, I thought, Oh, um, I'll, I'll go shopping online. Oh yeah. So, um, fail number one was, um, just looking at these gorgeous pictures of these Italian made 
recycled cardboard stools online and thinking, <laughs> yes, they are the ones for my design studio. Like, never do that. Never. <laughs> I, I still, I still do it. I still do the impulse buys from Instagram. I should stop that. Anyway, um, I went. I basically just did an impulse buy of these recycled cardboard stools, and they were horrible. They were horrible to look at. They were horrible to sit on, really uncomfortable. And, of course, once people sat on them a few times, they started crumpling <laughs> and they just looked disgusting. And it, oh, it I was... I would have thought your science brain would have had a more, um, what do they say, function over form <laughs> style of decision-making. But yeah, you not. think? You think? That <laughs> would have been nice. The of the cardboard. You just got sucked in to the I cardboard. I in. Yeah, mm. you know, and I thought, oh, you know, this is so green. It's recycled. No, no, it's just the wrong, uh, the wrong tool for the job. And um, and I, st- I still remember that there was a developer who came in and he had no idea that I'd designed this room and he was just like cursing and swearing and laughing at these stools. <laughs> who was the idiot that bought these? <laughs> <laughs> you're just yeah. like moonwalking out of there. Like <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm really going red now. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Um, yeah, so I learned my lessons uh, and that is, yeah, um, don't go making impulse buys for dumb things online and check with everyone who has expertise in these things first. Yes. Uh, do a mock-up and a prototype and show others first before spending lots of other people's money on these things. Yeah, the whiteboards, they didn't work. Um, yeah. Oh, so the, the innovation hub, did it take off? Or? <laughs> where is it now? Yeah, we could do an, an episode on that alone. The innovation hub, where is it now? Uh, it's gone. It's oh. gone. But you are better for the experience. Prototype. Yeah. And I love what you say. I know it's a it's a funny story, but so often we don't engage the expert when we're doing a project. We don't get all the stakeholders who have the have the advice on a project that we're working on, and you mm. miss something by not having the right people in the room, right? When you're doing a project or an initiative, definitely with, without that voice in the mix. Especially when, to your point earlier, you were given this opportunity. And you were grabbing hold of it thinking, well, everyone else seems to feel like I'm going to nail it, so I need to live up to that expectation. And it's that little bit of pride or ego that gets in the way of getting the best outcome. There's actually a meme that it made me think of, and it's something to the effect of um, my work has this really cute thing they do where if you're really good at your job, they give you everyone else's as well. <laughs> or they give you all the, pro- the the really ugly problems to solve. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I guess that does actually probably bring us to the back end of today. We have absolutely loved getting to chat with you, Ben. It's been such a privilege to have you on the show today. Thank you so uh, much. No, oh, thank you so much, Shelley. Thank you, Emily. It's been a lot of fun for me too. This is great. So good. And hey, I just do want to make sure for anyone out there who wants to find Ben, you can find Ben on Insta. So we are Bright Pilots. Uh, That's right. Search, search that up or jump on brightpilots.com.au, is it? Just .com. .com? Brightpilots.com. Perfect. Yeah. Um, the main reason for that is, uh, this sounds a, a little bit trite to say, but about half of my work uh, comes from Europe and the States. So right. I thought, look, I'm just going to go with the .com. But yeah, it's uh, brightpilots.com. 
and slash uh, forward slash icebreakers, yeah. <laughs> which we love. So thanks so much, Ben. So good to chat to you today and we will, I'm sure, chat soon. Yeah, it's been unreal. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks. Bye for now. Thank See you. you. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.